now turn to our second segment, a New York City public schools uh, um, open for the new school year next Monday. And uh, amid the pandemic, uh, are the schools ready uh, for this uh, to do their work while keeping teachers and students safe? Uh, the movement of rank and file educators, the social justice caucus of the UFT, the, the big teachers union here in New York, says that there's still much that the city and Department of Education need to do. And they also want their union to fight harder uh, for its members. And uh, earlier today, we uh, posted a, uh, an editorial from uh, two members of Moore, uh, Will Johnson and Amanda Vender, called Students and Teachers at Risk of New COVID Surge as NYC Adopts Lax Approach to Classroom Safety, where they really break down the concerns they have uh, with how the city's uh, approaching the new school year. And we're fortunate uh, this evening to be joined by the co-author of that piece, Amanda Vender. She's a public school teacher and public school parent in Queens. Amanda, thanks for coming on WBAI Radio. Thank you for having me, John. You bet. So you want to just uh, dive in and uh, outline some of your main concerns with how uh, the mayor and the school's chancellor and the DOE are approaching uh, safety in the schools? With, with the pandemic still going on? Right. Well, it's important to note that the CDC says that New York City currently is a high transmission zone. Um, School-aged children have the highest positivity rate right now in New York City of any age group. Uh, and we're dealing with an airborne disease. So we've learned a lot about this uh, this uh, virus over the last uh, year and a half, and we know that it is transmitted through the air by people being indoors in close proximity with other people who have the virus. Um, so now people are returning from their vacations. Um, all students are coming back into the classroom, whereas last year it was only about, it was uh, 60% who, who were fully remote last year. Now everyone is coming back. There is no remote option. Uh, we'll be going back indoors in colder temperatures. So it's really a recipe uh, for disaster, we fear. Now, there are some uh there are protocols in place, but they are not enough, we think, to, to keep us safe. And so this is the concern. Um, number one would be masking. Fortunately, New York City seems to be ahead of, of other areas of the country with regard to requiring masks in school. So this is good. However, there's still the issue of how will kids eat? Uh, you know, you eat in the cafeteria, you have to take off your mask. Um, so schools are uh, having to figure that out, um, how to keep kids safe when they can't wear their masks. Uh, then we also have three feet of social distancing, which is the recommendation of the CDC. And the principal's union has raised the concern that it, for most of our classrooms, that's just not possible because of uh, space and the sheer number of students yeah, one of the things I was really struck by Go in ahead. your article when you mentioned uh, the DOE was okay with as many as 43 students in a classroom. I mean, that's not good uh, for education, but in terms of the public health aspect, uh, that seems uh, 
really misguided. Right. And that's way over even our own, uh, our own uh, contract. Uh, the UFT contract sets class limits, um, which are, of course, still too high. Um, but yes, it, it, um, it's, and we're, it's especially, uh, frustrating because we actually won quite a lot of money, new money in federal and state funds going to our schools. So we really should be reducing class size at this point and that money that we won, uh, was from that lawsuit, the campaign for fiscal equity lawsuit, um, that, parents and advocates have been fighting for for decades now and we got that money for our schools and yet it is still not being properly allocated to reduce class size and also there is a lot of money that was allocated back in march through the uh president biden's uh america american uh, relief plan uh billions of dollars that was supposed to go to public schools to help them improve the ventilation in their buildings and and things like that has the New York City school system utilized those funds as far as you can tell? Well, uh, to some degree, uh, yes, there are new air purifiers um, in in our classrooms, although there's certainly um, been controversy over that and the quality, questions about the quality of the air purifiers uh, that were purchased by the city. But the thing about ventilation is that it is not, it is something that, um, that is, you have to have uh, a scientific view on ventilation. It's not something like, well, that, that you can just open the windows and have adequate ventilation. It is, it has to be calculated in a proper way. And scientists and industrial hygienists study this and know how to properly ventilate rooms. Um, but unfortunately, the DOE has taken um, it, it, the, this throwing in uh, air purifiers. Yes, it, it could help, but it's really a Band-Aid approach to decades of underfunding infrastructure. Um, over half of our classrooms don't have any HVAC system is the problem. We have our, our buildings aren't equipped. Our buildings are so old. Um, and even we even have a state law that says that malls, shopping malls in the state must have an HVAC system with MERV 13 or higher filters. That's the, the standard for filtration. But our schools don't have that. So it's, uh, it's, it's really frustrating that, um, th- that uh, it really points to the fact that we need the Green New Deal for public schools. We need massive investment in our school infrastructure. Uh, but in the short term, um, we we uh, open all the windows we can uh, to try to get that airflow. Yes, put in air purifiers, but it's really not something that I, as a parent, can feel uh, like extreme that that my child who is not allowed to be vaccinated is going to be safe. Right, you have a child that's under twelve years old. That's right. My ch- uh, I have a, an eleven little over 11 year old. So uh, I just keep checking the news. When will kids under 12 be able to be vaccinated? And we're hoping it seems like it might be sometime around Thanksgiving. But this also is, is so frustrating because uh, all the this this vaccine has been 
has been tested and, and administered to billions of people. We know that uh, that the the vaccine, the effectiveness of it, and we see the that hospital beds are filling with children right now. So um, it's up to the FDA; it's in their hands. But I, there has been a lot of pressure to to approve the the vaccine as soon as possible for young children. Right, and uh, and you have to constantly <laughs> weigh not only what's happening to you your 11 year old in, in, in their classroom and in their school, but the possibility, even though that you're, you and your partner are vaccinated, that you can still be an asymptomatic carrier and you could bring the virus back into your household and then get your child sick. And um, that's right. And that leads to the other point about the safety measure being inadequate is the COVID testing. So the DOE has committed uh, to test uh um, unvaccinated uh, students this year at a much lower rate than it did last year. Basically, half. We're, we're we're lowering our standard for COVID testing, which is which is very concerning. In LA and Chicago, the school systems there plan to have weekly testing for everyone, whether they're vaccinated or not. And like you say, that even vaccinated people can carry the virus. So that is a concern. Of course, it is much less likely. It's a, a, a less uh, strong dose of the, the virus that you would carry, but it is still a concern, especially as we know the strength of the vaccine wears off. So it, it's really unfortunate that our school system plans to only test 10% of students who consent, by the way, it's not even that they have to be tested every other week. And this is much less than the CDC recommendation, which recommends one uh, recommends testing weekly and less testing than we see in Los Angeles and Chicago. Yeah, let's talk a little bit more about Los Angeles and Chicago. Those are uh, cities and school districts where uh, the teachers' unions are a little more militant. Uh, left-wing caucuses have uh, won control of those unions over the past decade. And can you talk about what the unions have been able to do in those two major cities and what's going on with the teachers' union here in New York? Yeah, it's it's when I look at L.A. and Chicago, I see just a, a vastly different landscape in terms of teacher activism and what uh, teacher unionists have been able to achieve because of their organizing, their community ties, and their militancy. Um, and just for one, the the unions there were advocating for man vaccine mandates for uh, for staff, whereas our union right now in New York City is doing the opposite and instead advocating for um, exemptions, teacher staff and teacher exemptions to getting the vaccine. Why um, are they doing that? Uh, I think my sense is that our president, Michael Mulgrew, would like to make all members happy, including those uh, from more conservative areas uh, of the area, um, more consider conservative uh, regions. And uh, so he says, if you, you know, you should get vaccinated, but if you don't want to <laughs> for medical or religious uh, reasons, then you should have the right to not get vaccinated, which is very concerning because that sounds like one of those red state governors. 
Exactly, right. And here we are in progressive, supposedly progressive New York City, and this is how our, what our union leader is doing. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, so my union caucus uh, is called MORE, Movement of Rank and File Educators, uh, and where we are uh, a fighting caucus, fighting for more just schools. Uh, and many people don't know that the UFT is made up of caucuses like political parties, essentially. So um, we have the Moore Caucus. There are a few other caucuses, but the main caucus is Unity. And Unity has been in control of our union since its beginning. Uh, and so, and it's it's uh, very difficult to... Um, it's very difficult within the structure of our union to to uh, have our voice heard. And that's really what our union, our caucus is about, what the Moore Caucus is about, democratizing our union and and bring, making our union uh, a participatory organization where we're not just handed down uh, information and told just to sit tight. We're taking care of it. That's that's kind of the message that we get from our current union leadership we want a seat at the table. Yeah, we have to go in, in about 15 seconds, but uh, can you let our listeners know uh, where they can uh, find out more about more and, and what it's doing to try to um, beef up the, the safety around the school reopening? Sure. Please visit morecaucusnyc.org. That's M-O-R-E, caucusnyc.org. And there you can see right on that homepage events that we have. We're open to uh, community members are welcome to to join our events and uh, and educators and staff are welcome to become members. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Amanda Vender from the Movement of Rank and File Educators for joining us this evening on WBAI Radio. Thank you, John. You bet. All right, we'll be back with more after this short break. When we come back, uh, we'll get the latest update on uh, on the struggle to preserve East River Park, which is uh, entering a, a very difficult phase right now, but the community is uh, still fighting back, and they're going to have a really exciting action in, uh, in the works for this Saturday. So we'll talk about that more after this short break. <laughs> 